the 2017 season, I ended up down on the field for the end of most of those games, like the Notre Dame game, so many of those games stand out to me to see the joy on the sidelines. It's just it's one thing to see it from afar and on TV. It's another like to be part of it, like and, and be on the field as they're celebrating. Like Kirby was in the middle of it. You don't see Saban running around like high fiving fans and and whatever. I think there's a little more joy with Kirby. He seems to have a good balance, I think. What's up, Georgia football fans? My name is Scott Duvall, and you are listening to episode 239 of the Waiting Since Last Saturday podcast. We have a very special show for you today. For the first time ever, myself and my two co-hosts, Will Leach and Tony Waller, we hooked up a fourth microphone. Yes, for this live recording, we are pleased to welcome Seth Emerson. Seth, Seth, he is the staff writer for The Athletic and George's beat writer covering football and athletics. Seth also has an awesome new book out. It's titled Attack the Day, Kirby Smart and George's Return to Glory. We talked to Seth at length about the timeline that this book focuses on for Georgia football and the reporting that he did to help recount many of the never-before-revealed details from the formative years of Kirby Smart, the 2017 season, and even the 2020 Sugar Bowl versus Baylor, among many other stories. So yes, we're glad you're joining us today. We're glad Seth joined us. It's great to have Georgia football right around the corner. And on behalf of Tony and Will, I'd like to I'd like to thank Seth, I'm sorry I'm stumbling over my words, for coming over and sitting in with us to record this episode. So without any further ado, let's just jump on into it. Hope you enjoy episode 239, the Seth Emerson Interview. Okay, so party. We are all back. <laughs> all three, uh, all no four three of us. We have us. a special guest. This we the, have a special guest. This is the first time we've had a fourth person. We Now, we've had one-off interviews before. Yeah. But it's the for, first time we've had, what do you call four people? Not a trio. A quartet? Cor, there we go. Yes. A quartet. A quartet. And, and I think this is a special occasion because this is... Uh, How long the, should we go before we introduce that guest? I, I'm, I'm not even going to refer to him the rest of the show. Yeah. I'm just like, I just want him to come and watch us. <laughs> um, so, no, this he has is... a good view. <laughs> <laughs> and what a view it is. So, the whole idea is this is the... We're, it's happening. This is happening. Right. Uh, a lot of the last few shows... Uh, up until the last one, I would say, have all been tinged with that. Well, you know, if they play, if it happens, we were given predictions uh, percentage on how yes. much we thought they would play. Yes, and but for the record, I think that should still be up in the air, and that can still <laughs> happen. But that's a conversation we'll get to. But it, we've gotten late enough now that we kind of actually have to have a season preview show, right? And we thought because already we were going to talk to our guest, who is not, but we're not going to talk to him. He's just over there. We we're going to talk to our guest anyway to talk about his book, which we're also not going to mention. Um, but we thought. But you know what? Let's just combine the two and have him be our special guest on our season preview edition. So welcome to Seth Emerson, who author of the book uh, Yad the I'm oh, sorry, it's upside down. Uh, Attack the Day, Kirby Smart and George's Return to Glory, uh, Seth Emerson. Uh, Seth, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you for having me, guys, and thank you for not belaboring the return to glory thing, which non-Georgia fans, and a few Georgia fans love to harp on every time they <laughs> see well, it. What's the, the idea? What's the problem with the uh, You know, they, they haven't won a national championship, so what glory have they returned oh, to and everything? God. Number one, in my defense, I did not choose that title. Uh, publishers are in charge of that, and they do a great job with that. Number two, 
we all lived through the t- 2017 season, right? It was they, glorious. They, they were in the two. They were in the national championship game. They came damn close to winning it. They won a Rose Bowl. Yeah, and they won the point, an SEC. We all They've remember. In, we all remember what happened before that yeah. when things were not yeah. so good. Yeah. Therefore, we a remember Fatone Balta starting against things. Florida. Yes. Yeah, that was not glorious. That was not glorious. That's mentioned in the book. Yeah, it comes up with We did a special yeah. podcast for yeah. that. <laughs> we did. It was. I think it was the emergency siren. Oh my god! That's the one podcast I ranked as a point. Five. I didn't even give it a full. It was a like number sixty three and a half. It was just all just it's just a lot of screaming. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, so we're gonna get, you're gonna be a part of our season preview, but most we really do want to want to talk about the book and w- what time frame? Like when did you first start covering Georgia to give us a time frame uh, from from not just when the book starts, but kind of your experience with the program from the first book. started covering yes. Georgia two thousand two. Okay, so you've which been here was from the Mark Rick's return to yes, glory. Season. That's right. So that was my first year working for the Albany Herald, and I covered them kind of, I kind of shared coverage 2002, 2003, 2004. It was my beat for the Albany Herald, as it was in those days. Um, Then I went and covered South Carolina for the next five years, came back here in 2010 for the beginning of the 2010 season. So my 10th anniversary was like glossed over August 2nd, because... I was planning on doing like a big Twitter commemoration. <laughs> I've been on the beat 10 years, but there were a lot of things There's going on, things and going I on. forgot about it. Uh, so I've, I've been covering it a while, and I covered the basically the beginning and the end of the Mark Richt era and uh, the entirety of the Kirby Smart era so far. Yeah, and one of the interesting things to me, and you bring this up a little bit, is uh, your time in southwest Georgia parallels Kirby Smart's time, uh, yep. particularly his time at Valdosta State. I got there i was covering valdosta state games in 2002 2003 and the first time i heard of kirby smart keep in mind i'm this transplanted let's say northerner maryland technically below the mason dixon yeah. line but whatever <laughs> so i don't know much about college football north from here point. might as well be maine i don't have people. much context for georgia football because I, I hate to say it but just following college football at that point georgia was not on the national radar again until 2002 you knew about herschel but then it kind of goes away. So I didn't know about Kirby Smart. Believe me, we were and here. And <laughs> I'm, I'm covering Valdosta State, and then I went to cover a Florida State game, and I saw that uh, Kirby Smart was a GA there. That's right. And I it about said that, that he was at Valdosta State recently. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, this guy played at Georgia. And then a few years later, um, when Kirby was hired as the running backs coach at Georgia, I was still working at Albany at that point. Uh, I talked to Kirby on the phone about it. And I don't remember too much of what we talked about other than he struck me as a pretty relaxed, laid back, just, you know, South Georgia boy. Did uh, he feel like a rising star at that point? It was still too hard. Nah, I mean, it was too hard to tell. I mean, because I, I talk to people here and they say, they say they're, he's a rising star. Everyone yeah, thinks right, they're right, a rising right, star right, at that right, point. Right. It's a matter well, of who actually. To, to talk to you guys, it sounds like when he played, there was like an idea like this guy could be a coach. Oh, yeah, he, he very yeah. much, when he played, was a, um, I mean... He like played a, over his head a lot. I mean, I mean he was the, really I, I good. I think he was an undersized D-bag. It's just like... He's, D-bag. That's what I said, D-bag. Well, I, I, I heard, heard D-bag. I heard his he G. Is, well, I'm not an Alabama fan, so I'm not going <laughs> to say that about him. So, but, he, I mean, you know, he definitely was... Um, he, he definitely played... He punched above his weight uh, as, a, as a player. I mean, it's all, he was all-conference as a, you know, almost like... I don't like to use a Rudy comparison, but he's not 
He's not much bigger than a minute. Right. And uh, he's a smaller white defensive back who was really good. Yeah. If you remember the '97 game, I mean, he picked off what two passes? The the '97 Georgia Florida game. Yeah. And, and he's on all the highlights, even so, Munson calls. Two years ago, I, I did a retrospective on the LSU-Georgia game from 98 yeah. when Georgia went into LSU that and was won the, that. Uh, Quincy Carter and game. before yeah. the game, on the sidelines, they show Quincy Carter getting ready to go and Kirby kind of coming up to him and the two slapping and Kirby getting really excited to him. And you, you saw the young Kirby, but you saw the leader. Mm-hmm. You saw the future coach. This was the safety and the quarterback getting hyped together. And you saw... You know, like Kirby, one thing that makes him such a good recruiter and kind of good at what he does is his ability to navigate different worlds. You know, he's a coach's son from South Georgia. He's a white kid um, who likes golfing. You know, he he can go into country clubs. I recount a story about him speaking at a country club uh, before his first year starts in Atlanta, talking about the need for facilities. He's he's become Georgia's best fundraiser. Part of the reason they've had more money pre-pandemic around here is because Kirby has this ability to go and glad hand donors and everything. But while able to do that, he's able to go into black families' homes and recruit and be sincere. And like with the racial justice stuff that's come up, we we were talking a little bit off uh, about how the administration at Georgia has kind of stumbled on a lot of (laughs) stuff PR-wise. Kirby has nailed it. And Even from really the beginning yes. on this, like yeah. th- th- not a lot of coaches, you, you had, uh, you had, you had, uh, Oklahoma state, you had Gundy and you yeah. had, even so on from the beginning, he seemed to be talking about safety before, like, let's not even talk about, football. he got asked about myocarditis the other night and his answer was really good. You know, it was, it was kind of defending the sec and Georgia and what they do, but it was without sounding like a knuckle dragging, you know, football like a mic you know yeah like exactly <laughs> and and but he's hit the right notes on the the racial justice stuff the stuff that they're doing behind the scenes i mean the raising the money for uh clark county mm-hmm. schools for wi-fi that was that idea didn't come out of uga or out of the football right. program it came out of like josh brooks right. and brooms Brooms, as some people would call, <laughs> I can edit on the athletic app. <laughs> well, we call what, he is now exclusively referred to as yeah, Brooms. But, <laughs> but when they told Josh Lee and Kirby Smart about that, Josh Lee is Kirby's ops guy, like right hand man. They they jumped at it. They said, "That's a brilliant idea. We're going to jump on it." And they were smart enough to make that their first thing because it wasn't like it wasn't just releasing a statement. It wasn't just we're going to donate money to you know Black Lives Matter or whatever. It was it was something original and something really pointed in to get back to the original point. I think that's something that, that it shows that Kirby is able to straddle both worlds and he's got a, he's got a pretty good, he's got a pretty good mastery of, of, you know, both. I mean, we, we talk about it. college football with everything that's happened this year with the pandemic and social justice has exposed how you've got these really divergent, you know, things going on. You've got the, the, rosters are mostly black and coming from certain you know demographics and backgrounds the fans are in a lot of ways are, are the opposite kirby's able to live in both worlds one of the things that we've talked a lot about this podcast is actually relates to um my one cameo in the book which i'm very proud of uh which is um the idea of what georgia said about itself 
as a football program and as trying to reach the big time or reach the promised land, the return to glory, if you will, right. um, of what it meant when Mark Richt was not only fired, but like in that incredibly insane press conference that just gets a little bit weirder Awkward. every yeah. single time you think about it, particularly because he, again, of course, kept reiterating, I'm not retiring, and then went yeah. back the next year to coach. Um, but then to bring in Kirby Smart, at the time, uh, it felt, I think to me, and I think we kind of talked in this podcast, the idea that it was a shift in Georgia. Not so much yeah. that they were like going full Auburn, but yeah. the idea that there was a shift in priorities and the idea of doing things this certain way, and it doesn't really matter whether they win the title or it it's not as important if they do it. It seemed to be a shift more toward the people that were like, no, we want that titles. Did we, did we get is that is that an oversimplification of what happened or like it's not like Kirby Smart doesn't care about academics or doesn't care or suddenly just started giving out Bruce Pearl money or something but like certainly uh, what did did was there a clear shift or was it really just kind of a Kirby Smart being a specific kind of person you know a lot of people look at and we, I hate to beat up on Fatone Bauta but a lot of people look at that Florida game as the demarcation point I think the Alabama game was yeah because now the Florida game. After the Tennessee game and the Missouri game, where they barely won nine to six or whatever it was, finished it off. But leading up to that Alabama game that year, there's these stories about there was a big story in USA Today talking to Georgia boosters about how glad they were to do it the Mark Richt way. We're, we're doing it the Georgia way. We're not we're not getting in the mud with the Alabamas and the Auburns and doing the things they're doing. Alabama comes in and spanks them. I still remember sitting on the sidelines or standing on the sidelines before the game. And the two things I remember is Scott Cochran leading Alabama out and with, with expletives, like telling Georgia people to get out of the way, mm-hmm. you know, cause here came the players. The other one was Kirby just kind of in his Alabama shirt, which now looks weird to see him in an Alabama shirt, but standing there just kind of smiling, looking around like he knew what was about to happen. But Alabama comes in here and spanks Georgia. And I think at that point, a lot of people said, all right, <laughs> that's it. It's you one know. thing to lose. It's yeah. nothing to have that happen. Yeah. And then that precipitated this series of games in October, culminating with the Florida game, that put everyone over the edge. And as I mentioned in the book, Mike Cavan walks into a suite at the Florida game at halftime and says, I can't yeah. defend this anymore. And mm-hmm. Mike Cavan had been a a Georgia defender or a Rick defender. Oh, he was Rick's guy. And he flipped. Yeah. He wow. said, I, I can't. And, and that was key. You know, I mean, the, this was, this was not a decision made by Greg McGarity. God love him sitting in his office. You know, these kind of monumental decisions are not made by one person like that. This was an institutional decision, probably involving the governor on down. But Mike Cavan being one of those people who was central in, in saying, we need to make a change. And by the way, South Carolina is zeroing in on Kirby Smart. And we can't let that happen. Do you think the cultural shift I'm talking about or we and saw as a possibility uh, from that, did, did I overreact to that or is that something that we've seen? No, I mean, I, I think it perfectly summed up what a lot of people were feeling. I, I honestly, as someone who, let's go back to my first experience here knowing Georgia football was 2002, all I knew was Mark Richt as Georgia's coach. And there was part of me that was saying, huh, what are they doing? Like, what was Georgia football before Mark Richt got here? They were okay. Jim Donnan made them a little bit better, and they plateaued. And they bring in Mark Richt, and they get really good. I mean, we 
don't forget 2002 if there's a playoff Georgia's in the playoff 2007 2012 um and they were nine and three when they fired Mark Richt so yeah they were making the decision but do you the way you put it like they were making a cultural decision at that point so do you think the idea of the Georgia way idea it went away do you think it's gone to a certain extent there's still remnants of it um I don't think that Georgia has still the amount of like quality control coaches that Alabama has for instance um but some of that may be like a simple matter of like and it seems silly but like office space part of the reason they're building this bigger facility and expanding is so they can get more offices um I think it'll grow at that point um but yeah I mean I think I I think they want to keep the good parts the question is can you can they and are they like you look at cases like DeAndre Baker, Isaiah Wilson, my experiences with him were always good, but he got a DUI and you, you say, you know, man, you got to hope that this isn't becoming a football factory where you're not producing good citizens. I mean, I don't think there's evidence either to enough of that. There's not enough of a sample size, but it, it's a little worrisome to see things like that. Yeah. yeah and just so our listeners know, he, he got a DUI in Tennessee during training camp uh, with, with the Titans. Um, you know, one of the things that, that I really appreciate about the book is your, um, I mean, you have a reporter's eye, which is awesome because you're a reporter, but you, um, you were able to, in a dispassionate way, tell a lot of interesting facts about the 2015 season. Um, and that was one of the things that really struck me about the book is how um, almost from the get-go, yeah, to be perfectly honest, I, I I can't wait for the book. Whoever writes it about all the other stuff that went down, but from the player's perspective, from the level of getting at what actually went down with the players, I thought you did a good job. Is there like a watershed moment from fifteen that you can point to? And I'm not talking about the Alabama game or, or, or the Florida game. Just like the thing that you can point to that's like, oh, should seen this coming. The two things that emerged for me, Tony. Um, I don't know if they are moments so much, but the two things I learned from talking to players were, and this doesn't get into all the salacious, tantalizing thing that people think happened in 2015. I think a lot of that stuff has probably been blown out of proportion. It's apocryphal. Coaches didn't like each other. Yeah. Does that mean that Thomas Brown and Jeremy Pruitt got in a fight on, you know... Please please don't ruin this for me. Yeah. No, I mean... (laughs) Do He's I saying yes, it happened. They didn't. I mean, but there, there's even wackier stuff than that. Um, but, like, that, that stuff may happen anyway. There might have been a coach's fight in the Georgia coaching room last week, for all yeah. we know. But, it, but the two things that emerged for me is uh, the idea that Mark Hockey, the strength coach, was a big part of the problem. And Jeb Blazevich uses the expression, like, he didn't know what he was doing. And he set the wrong tone that year like they weren't ready for the season and they struggled as a result of that um the other thing was that uh Schottenheimer's offense was too complicated we we think of him as just being incompetent and he didn't call a good game or whatever and that may be the case he's apparently doing a decent job in the NFL apparently that's where he belongs but um, that this was exactly like when Todd Grantham had too complicated a defense in 2013 and Jeremy Pruitt comes in and in 2014 they immediately get better because they're simpler. It, the, the same thing happened with, with Georgia's offense. And um, yeah, those were, 
But d- does that answer your question? Or it does. It does. Yeah. It, 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 which leads me to a follow-up question, and one you might not have an answer to or be able to answer. I, I'm sure this question has been asked, but I've never really seen it answered definitively. How does Schottenheimer end up at Georgia? I mean, that's a great question. I, I think Rick was probably re- really impressed by the resume. I mean, he, he had a chance to hire an NFL coordinator. That's my guess. That's not based on. That sounds like how. That sounds like how Todd Munkin got here. <laughs> oh. yeah. yeah, but well, here, here's. See, but I, I will. But I will say this. I, I'm, I'm going to need when, a whiteboard. I, I kind of had the same when Schottenheimer was hired. I was like, oh crap! They hired a guy that had a job in yeah. the NFL. But then I looked at where the where his offenses had ranked the previous nine years, and I'm like. Uh, you look at Todd Munkin's resume, and it's all yeah, good, right, 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 right. except for the except Browns for the last one. When he, right, yeah, when right. he, well, and he wasn't. It was yeah. that's a that, that's a whole different podcast. So my my overarching question, I think, comes down to the idea of now that Georgia has been kind of weaponized, like you know, it feels like this is the, the, like this is the Georgia program that everyone's been waiting on, right? Like well, everyone's always said all these years, uh, that's the sleeping giant. They get yeah. somebody in there that really weaponizes stuff and really makes like Andy re- Staples has always said this is the best job in America. Yes, and so now that that's happened, you know, the 2017 was incredible, and it was the, it was the, the, this, this wonderful season that. And but and they get that close and they don't quite get there. And the last two years have obviously been objectively, by any possible measure, terrific years, good years. But now, like the, with that culture shift to okay, um, we're going to make this change, and now we're going to be Alabama. We're going to bring in Kirby. We're going to do this. The, the same reason people are giving crap about the name "Return to Glory." for your book is the same idea that like, yeah, but they haven't won a championship yet. Is there a certain number of years where if there's not a title here, things don't turn, but like the idea that like, oh, Georgia inevitably is going to have it. Obviously they're doing everything right. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. How many years go by that it doesn't happen until it becomes, well, there's Georgia again. There's Georgia doing that. And there starts to be uh, people that you would never imagine flipping like that guy with Rick, that starts to happen. It's impossible to project into the future. I did a, um, I did a poll during the middle of, I, I say this as if the pandemic is over, but like when we're looking for material, I did this poll and we rolled it out in three parts. And one of them was your expectations. Like what would you think if they haven't won a championship in the last five years or whatever? But my, the results were that like Georgia fans who took the survey were more patient than you might think. Like basically – as long as they're in contention every year, they'll give it five, ten years. The presumption is one, eventually one of them yeah, will quit. I mean, well, it, for the record, that's also what they said about it, Rick, right? You'd be good every single year. they and were one, out of it yeah, with right, Rick. Right, right, right. I by this, the end. By the I don't, end. I don't, I don't want – I mean, look, I don't want to be revisionist history. I wasn't in favor of firing Mark Richt. I was a beat writer. I was not a columnist, so I didn't have a column. But as, if I had written a column, I would have said don't fire him. I would have been wrong. I would have said, don't hire Kirby Smart. Why are you, why are you hiring another Mark Richt and got a proven assistant coach who has rings but has never been a head coach? I would have been wrong about that. Um, but with, with Kirby, they're in contention. They're, you know, they, they've been in the Sugar Bowl the last two years. The year they fired Rick, they were going to go to the Gator Bowl. And that was a year after going to the Belk Bowl. A year come after going to the Gator Bowl again. They hadn't I mean, it's unfair to say they haven't been national relevant. They had not been nationally relevant since 2012 because they had 
start of the 2013 season before all those injuries hit they were beating South Carolina and LSU at home in top 10 matchups 2014 they had some good games 2015 before the disaster of October they were undefeated and I mean they were favorite that's the still yeah. last game Alabama was a favorite yeah um but they they had clearly plateaued under Rick and but I mean it's hard to project in the future it's like how does it go like are they is Georgia going in a normal year non-pandemic 10 game year is Georgia going 11 and one every year but getting blown out in the SEC championship by the West at some point it gets old but I mean at a certain level I mean we are we talked if you're if you're close if you're yeah, we, in that conversation every year, yeah, we say that. But yeah. like you know, we all saw going into the SEC championship game we had, last year. We had no real faith that. George not only do we have no win. real faith, the bu- the the buzz on that game, like we uh, we've gone to these SEC, like yeah. there was that, like oh yeah, yeah another yeah. SEC championship game, and they're gonna get stopped. But didn't that have more to do with LSU? Well, yeah, I mean, I mean maybe, they were just but on fire. I mean, it did for me, uh, and 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 maybe that's where I, I would push back against that a little bit. Um, I, and I do agree with you that. Um, as Georgia fans go, I was surprised by the results of the survey. Uh, it could be sample size, but um, or it could also be um, patient people. Uh, the intelligent people, people are, that follow are, Seth Emerson on Twitter are, are, are patient I, I, and well, reasonable at all times. This, the athletic subscribers yeah. are. Um, yeah. So I, I would say that I, I think I agree, and I've made the point that, that, that Seth just made, is that if you're going to um, – if Georgia remains in contention and looks like they belong on the field, um, as a rule, I think people are going to be fine. And the one thing I would say that that Seth didn't add that that I would have I would say I observed about Rick is that it was clear after the twelve recruiting class, uh, kind of the methodology of recruiting had bypassed Rick. Um, the 13 class was an, an, a, was his undoing. I mean, f- just frankly, was that the Ray Drew class? Yeah, and yeah. it was. Well, that, no, 2013. What Ray Drew was 2011. Was that 11? Yeah, yeah, the Dream Team. That's right. Coming dream up on the team. 10th year anniversary. Yeah, that, the there's going to be a story in athletics. Awesome. No, 13 was the year where we swung and miss on a couple of uh, linemen prospects, and then the linemen we got. Like one left and one oh yeah, left. they had they, they had the attrition. Thirty three men. Yeah, thirty three year and like and twelve of them just, ended up playing. Maybe. Yeah, it was not great. And it was also the fact that he didn't recruit offensive linemen. Like, literally, they were not on the paper. Yeah. <laughs> like, they weren't, in, they weren't in school. So, and the, and the other part about that, of course, is that um, for all uh, – we talk about Kirby being hard-headed because uh, we spent a lot of time talking about, can Kirby change? Well, yeah. we, we've seen that. Mark Rick was even slower to change, right? He had, he had decided he had a way of doing it, and to his credit, it had worked for – 10 plus years. Um, and, and I'm with Seth and I've said this, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't necessarily think firing Mark Rick was the right move. Um, I, you know, clearly I'm wrong in that. Um, but I will say that, um, the decision, I'm glad other people were making that decision because they, uh, the people that, that were, were pulling the levers and clearly had a, a good way of, um, a good way of approaching a problem. And it's it's worth remembering that, like, again, the last time Georgia played a football game, afterwards we had this long discussion of, like, so is he really going to be willing to change the offensive coordinator? Like, it feels <laughs> that feels like like 15 years ago. God, uh, but, like, I do want to ask a question because it's not, this is not a biography of Kirby no. Smart. No, this is not. This is, this is 
This is a story of the last five years of Georgia football, mostly about 2015 through 2017. We get 18 and 19 in there, and we, we address 2020, the, the beginning of it. Please ignore everything I say about Jamie Newman because there's <laughs> yeah. only so much we can change at a late date on, on a book. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's mainly about this very – Critical period. Who's Jamie in Newman? Georgia I don't. History. We've never heard that name. I've yeah. never heard that name. He's a guy who I don't think. You talking about made Wade, a great Wade Forest decision. last quarterback? Yeah, we can get into that. We can get into that. Yeah, you know Wade Forest quarterback last year. Yeah, and oh. yeah, but <laughs> and a sixth round pick. And you know he can't and he can't be like Nick Markakis where he's like, hey guys, I'm yeah, sorry, yeah, I want to come back. he can't come back. Um, so I guess my question is this: This is not a biography of Kirby Smart, but this is someone that still you deal with on a regular basis. You talk to on a regular basis. You have someone that obviously has a beat reporter. You have to develop some sort of connection with. Is there something as uh, that the you know we I think we take a lot of pride on this podcast of being you know we're we're a fans podcast and we are and I, we try to be reasonable fans podcast. But I think that uh, uh, Kirby Smart is obviously a major figure not just in Georgia football but uh, not just nationally but like particularly in Georgia football. He's the guy that he's either the guy that's going to do it. Or the guy that's not, and and he is obviously a massive, massive figure. As someone that deals with him on a daily basis, is there something is there something that would surprise the listeners of this podcast to learn about Kirby Smart? Something, someone that sees him on a regular basis and interacts with him, obviously in a reporter coach circumstance, but still someone who has some sort of relationship with him that you would perhaps find different than the guy having a rage stroke <laughs> on the cover of your book. Jonathan Ledbetter talks in the book. I talked to him for a while about his interactions with Kirby in 2016 when, when Jonathan was going through his troubles uh, off the field. His, uh, you know, he had two arrests. One was for a pretty ridiculous like downtown thing, I think, trying to get into a bar. The second one was fairly serious, like found asleep in an intersection. And Kirby dealt with him in a way. And let's be honest, Jonathan Ledbetter, really good player. So that helps. There was incentive. There, yes, but Kirby dealt with him in a way that left a real impression on Ledbetter, and Ledbetter didn't want to get into it. I know this is one of those cases where I think I know what when Kirby talked to Ledbetter about things that had gone on in his own life, and and I, I I have a feeling I know what he's talking about, but you know that's Kirby wants to share that he can share it, but. There, there is a humane side to him. There is a, he is a real human. I've, I've, I've talked to him, uh, or I've talked to people who have talked to him about stuff going on right now with social justice and then with the pandemic. And what you hear makes you think that this guy's pretty rational about stuff. He's pretty smart, pun not intended. He's not Mike Gundy. He's not, not even like Ed Orgeron who said some things lately that you know but you know he's 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 a guy who gets it and that comes across now there's different sides to everybody it but like the raving maniac you see on the sideline that's part of him but do you remember the kevin butler story in the yes in the and and kevin may have told the story like on the radio or some other places but he told it to me for the book and the the basically the shortened version of it is that Butler was just doing his job on the sideline, just relaying orders, and Kirby screamed at him, like F-bombed him and whatever. This is during a game. And 
Butler's like looking around going, I'm a student assistant coach. I'm unpaid. I don't, I don't need this crap, you know, but he didn't say anything. He was just kind of like, whatever, you know, I'm Kevin Butler. (laughs) (laughs) They go into halftime as they coming out, Kirby goes up to him and says, did you ever yell at you like that? (laughs) And there's, there's a self-awareness about it. And people see the, the Kirby at press conferences and you know, obviously, the the Kirby you see treating the media the way he does at the press conference, you'd be like, oh, you know, that's you know, him and the media must hate each other. And there's 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 some of that, but I think there's also he's doing what Saban did. He's taking cues from Saban, where you you send a message to your team through the media, and you're you're not thinking when you're sitting there for a press conference that you're talking to the media. You don't even think you're talking to the fans. You think you're talking to your team, the message that you're sending. That's why he's not announcing a starting quarterback. I am pretty sure as we sit here on Wednesday night, I know who the starting quarterback is going to be. I think it's going to be Dwan Mathis. Kirby doesn't want to announce it because he wants there to still be competition. He wants there to be competition at every position. He didn't announce Jake Fromm was the starter last year. Everybody yeah, well, knew yeah. Jake Fromm. Not that, but no one ever asked him because it would have been kind of a stupid question, but... Uh, basically, I, I think with a lot of people, that, like with a lot of people, there's complexity. There's nuance to Kirby. He's he's a normal guy, but um, like he's a guy that like my uh, my son and his son were in the same YMCA ba- basketball league this past winter, and you know I was at all my son's games, and Kirby was all at at all his son's games. Now, occasionally he would take a call and go out into the hallway, but so would I. Uh, you know, I mean, he, but he's. He was there. He was a good father. But did you ever call each other at the basketball game? <laughs> no. No. Like, make a point of kind of leave each other alone. You are also yeah. not leave, leave the game worthy. That's a recruit. Right, right, <laughs> right. Um, that was when the Todd Monk and stuff was going on, too, though. So I, I think there was a little bit of that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's a driven guy who Shane Beamer tells stories about, like, getting texts from him all hours of the night he he drives he drives his assistant coach and his staff hard but he's working harder it's why Tom Brady and the Patriots worked well over the years because your best player is your hardest worker it was why the 2017 team was so good your best leaders were your best players the Chubbs and the Michelles the Isaiah Wynn every if you go by every position the best player Carter and Bellamy Roquan, defensive line, you know, John Atkins, Ledbetter, secondary, Dominic Sanders, Aaron Davis, all the, the, your, your best players were your best leaders, and that's why that 2017 team was so good. And Kirby makes his staff work hard, but you notice there's not like these mass exoduses from the Georgia staff. Guys have left, but there's been pretty reasonable explanations. People seem to like working for him. They don't love it because they have to work their asses off and their ass gets chewed out when they don't do well. And if they don't recruit well, they get fired like Tracy Rocker did. But Kirby works just as hard. And, and when you see your boss working that hard, it's, it's, it makes it easier for you to... You think that's why he's ridden and driven LeCount so much after all the years? Because he sees him as that potential leader in the secondary and now coming back for his senior year you know there's always been that fun little yeah little nuance with he, those he rode two. LeCount as a freshman and a little bit as a sophomore LeCount's back as a senior he was 
Now, if he was going to be a surefire first-round pick, maybe even a second-round pick, he would have gone pro. But he had the opportunity to go pro. He didn't. He came back, and he's turned into a pretty good player. I mean, Kirby knows which buttons to push with, with certain guys. I mean, look, I don't want to come off like, you know, I think the guy's perfect. I mean, he's obviously made some, you know, things have gone wrong, and the 2008, 2019 offense is one of them. But he he made a move to correct it. He didn't call a press conference to declare that he's going to look for a new offensive coordinator or that he's overhauling the offensive system or he's changing his offensive philosophy. He just did it. So you were talking about LeCount. I will, I will say our friend Tiffany, who works at the Hoke Smith Annex right there beside the practice field, she said, uh, she sent me a text out there. She's like, I've never been so happy to hear Kirby yell at LeCount. She's like, she's like, LeCount's going to have a great game this week. I was like, why? Well, I was like, Kirby's all over him. And uh, so, you know, in, in thinking about... Uh, I'm glad that's not my job, by the way. The people are like, oh, well, Will's going to write a good one. Yeah, Someone yeah, just screamed facilities <laughs> at him for three hours. Yeah, that happens. Um, looking forward, what are some things that you have seen that, um, that come out in the book that readers will recognize in the book that uh, give cause for hope over the next two or three years for Georgia fans? Uh, I mean, the recruiting stuff will never stop. He will always be dedicated to that. And by the way, over this summer, things were starting to look bleak on the recruiting front. Um, and, you know, they had a decommitment the other day. But he's just always going to push. Yeah, how much of that was narrative and how much of that was real? On, I'm, I'm just curious. The recruiting thing over the summer, I don't, I don't want to get – I think some of it was real. Was I mean, it? Okay. Because he and Del McGee, who at this point is his best recruiter, but so many guys on staff are such good recruiters. But these guys like Del McGee – um, Dan Lanning, Glenn Schumann, these are guys that are really good at face-to-face recruiting. What we're, we're talking about at the start of this, about how Kirby is able to live in both these worlds and, and how good he is, they, they suffered from the lack of face-to-face recruiting. They're still suffering that. I mean, we don't, we don't have a date where he's going to be able to go fly and see these guys in person again. And so, I don't know, the 2021 recruiting class for Georgia may be down because of that. I don't know where it's going to end up. I don't know if it will be the top five or top three again. But when they get back to face-to-face recruiting, they're going to they're, – they're, they're just always going to be in the mix. And I, I don't think that's ever going to change. I, I think you've got a guy in, in Kirby Smart who has vision. This is a guy who's always – you know, Mark Richt made good moves – but I think a lot of times it seemed like he got that advice. Like it was like, you, you should go do this. And Rick like, okay, yeah, I'll go do that. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. That's how most people operate. Kirby is now the one kind of saying, ooh, you know, let's do this. Let's do that. I mean, he came here and being best friends with Mike Bobo helped because he knew what he was dealing with. Kirby did when he got here. He knew what he was dealing with in terms of the administration. And he knew what he was dealing with in terms of facilities and what was lacking. And while the indoor facility was coming and the Sanford Stadium expansion or renovation with the new locker room was about to happen, Mark Richt had been pushing for that, um, Kirby knew they needed more. Kirby knew they needed a new weight room and that they have a, they have a problem with their footprint at the school. Like with, They need a master plan for facilities and, and they, need, they still need a bunch of stuff. And Kirby knew this coming in and he he's he's always i think going to be looking for the next step looking ahead and and by the way that's what saban does you know saban gets i'll never forget when i think it was after they beat 
Notre Dame to win the national championship in 2012. Saban's being interviewed on the field, and my wife, who is not a sports fan, watches the interview and says, why is he such a cranky pants? They just won the national championship. I'm like, that's, that's how he thinks. He's like, yeah, we won the championship. What's tomorrow? Yeah. Got to go recruit. And, and that's how Kirby is. Although, I think there's a little more joy with Kirby. The, the 2017 season, I ended up down on the field for the end of most of those games, like the Notre Dame game, so many of those games stand out to me to see the joy on the sidelines. It's, just, it's one thing to see it from afar and on TV. It's another like to be part of it like and, and be on the field as they're celebrating. Like Kirby was in the middle of it. You don't see Saban running around like high-fiving fans and, and whatever. Kirby is in the middle of it. He, he, he seems to have a good balance, I think. It's hard to imagine Saban wearing the gridiron classic right. cup uh, hat after yeah. his first game. I don't think he's yeah. The Coke bottle would wear it before him. Yeah. Yes. yeah. Okay, so last question because our time is up because then we're going to keep you around for our season preview podcast. What? Uh, yeah, sorry. Was, what? Yeah. Yeah, sorry. He was we didn't discuss this. He was literally walking to his car uh, <laughs> when I said that. Um, we'll double your fee. I hope the process... Uh, fee? <laughs> I hope the process uh, for the book has been a positive one. I know it's always unusual to have a book release in a pandemic. It's probably not what you anticipated. Uh, in I think that it might have actually helped. You think so? It may have pushed down the economy, but one thing I was worried about was like... Well, I don't re- think your book pushed down the, the release. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sales. But, um, but it's, only, it's only 20 bucks. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, September 1st was the release date, and pre-pandemic I always said, man, we're releasing a book September 1st, and there's a game September... Yeah. What was it, fifth, seventh? Yeah. Like, at that point, people are going to be ready no for the season. They, yeah. they don't want to read about the last five years. They want to read about the next game. Well, with the season got pushed back to September 26th, all of a sudden I got to say, hey, right. <laughs> you know, you got some time to you pass between now and September 26th to read about the last five years. Anyway. If Georgia wins that national championship, I remember seeing you at the national championship game in beginning of 2017. And I remember seeing you there, and we were all, everyone was like, it was, everyone was very curious what was going to happen. And, and I think you had even made a comment like, shoot, if like Georgia wins this game, am I writing a book over the next three months? Um, if they win a national championship, would you want to do a sequel to this? Would you, would you feel like there's another, there's another chapter? You want to go through this experience again and uh, chronicle of that? It would, or? it would depend on how the season went. Like, if it was, I mean, the 2017 season was so special with so many different things. Like, I don't know, one year it would be hard maybe to do. It would, it would depend on, like, how much material. Like, would I get, like, inside access? Would I be able to talk to more people? Um, like, you know, at some point does Kirby want to do his own book and talk to him about it? I'm not sure if I'd be comfortable doing that if I were still a beat writer. But, you know, it, I, I will say, and this is, uh, the, you know, people don't care about me. They care about the book. And by the way, if I could drive one thing home, this is not like a memoir of a beat writer. <laughs> it okay? is not. This is not, you can attest to this if you've read it. I've got a couple like, you know, personal references in there, personal stories when they're relevant. This is, I talked to people, I did original reporting. This isn't a rehash of game stories. This isn't a rehash of things we already know. I went in and I did reporting just for the book. Um, so... I know people don't care about me, but I, I definitely got a, a Jones for writing books. And, and I'd, I'd love to do another one at some point, but I still do have a day job and a family. 
And let's say, for example, I wanted to do some commerce and buy one of your books. How would I do that? You can go, I'm going to start with, you can go to Avid Bookshop and their website because they are not physically open, but you should support local. They had me for a uh, Zoom session with some fans and readers on Tuesday night, and it went great, and they do a great job. You can go to the Triumph Books website. You can go to Amazon Books. You can go to bookreads.com. Basically, Triumph Books, the publisher, is a professional. This is not a self-published kind of thing. Triumph Books is good at what they do. If you Google Attack the Day, Seth Emerson, ways to buy it will come up. Is there an audio book version? No, I keep getting asked this, and there won't be because I'm sure that I will have to record. If, if someone wants to record it, that's great, but I can't. I don't have the time to do that, and I'm not sure I want to listen to my own voice. So, who, who Tony, Will, uh, who would y'all pick if in a in a different uh, world to read the book or be the voice of the book? Is there a, is there a certain maybe? I mean, you got one. This was where Kirby Smart's ability to survive without sleep came in handy. Should be me. Obviously, I'm ready to do it right now. I, uh, I was thinking Anthony Dasher, but sure, you can do it. <laughs> yes, let's go. Anthony's good people. Yeah. I might be driving to Arkansas with him. I'm, I'm waiting, and, and Mark Weiser, we're all, we're all waiting to see. I'm waiting to see whether I get approval yeah, to Yeah, get, get passed, yeah. Well, everyone buy the book. It is obvious. Like, listen, if you're, uh, I don't, I personally do not understand how a uh, someone who calls themselves a fan of Georgia football would not be reading everything that Seth Emerson is writing all the time. Anyway, so imagine a whole book of, as he's pointed out, original reporting. Like, this is not, this is not a cut and paste from. Uh, from, uh, from exactly from this Dog is, Nation yeah, is, yeah. in this 2015 because it would just be like. Like, hey, here's a here's, here's a I bunch think, of really good reporting the only and thing, a slideshow. The only thing in there, <laughs> the only thing in the book at all, now that I think about it, that has already appeared somewhere else, as in like word for word. I mean, we know what happened in the Rose Bowl; it's just told a different way. But um, is the Rodrigo Ken Blankenship's letter? Yeah, I print that in its entirety for context. But I tell the Rodrigo Blankenship story in a way. Like through the eyes of Kevin Butler and Shane Beamer, who were going through it. So um, it's yeah. just a terrific book. It is obviously, if you like Georgia football, I, I honestly do not understand what your problem is if you haven't bought this book. So buy the darn book. Uh, it's Attack the Day, Kirby Smart, and Georgia's Return to Glory. Seth Emerson, I would like to say, I'm sure you would like us to say goodbye now, but I'm afraid you actually have to sit with us for our season preview show. I'm going to love it. Let's get to it. Buy the book, people. Go, dogs. And thanks so much for listening. And again, a big thank you goes out to Seth for taking time out of his busy schedule to spend a couple hours with us. So you can buy his book wherever books are sold, online or in store if stores are open. But we'd love it if you purchase from Athens' own Avid Bookshop's website. We'll leave that link in the show notes of this episode. And Seth is not done with us. We also made him stay and record an SEC and Georgia football preview show after we did this episode. So we'll put that out later this week, and you can go ahead and subscribe to our podcast just so you never miss a show in the future. You can follow Seth and us on Twitter. Seth's handle is at Seth W. Emerson, and our show is at WSLS Podcast. And like I said, Georgia football is only like a week away. Yes, something like that. And we'll be here throughout the season to share our thoughts with pregame and postgame analysis for all of the games, all 10 of them, regular season, and then hopefully some postseason games. But we'll see you on campus eventually, sometime in the future. 
And as always, go dogs.